In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the kids and teens up through the ninth grade please come forward. See, you can't do it. It takes a special person to do that. Watch. You try it. You try it. <laughs> That's pretty good. Good for you. So I've told you about my garden, and I still have some things. So I still have some things growing, but I planted a lot of little plants, and I kept waiting for them to grow and grow and grow so that I could have tomatoes and beans and peppers and, and bell peppers and, can, and cantaloupes. And so finally, it just kind of took off. And all the bean vines, they went up the poles and over the fence and the tomatoes, they went everywhere because I, I think I planted them too close together, but they just grew everywhere. And the cantaloupes all over the ground from a little bitty plant to all that. And our tomatoes they were everywhere, tomatoes. and the birds, the tomatoes, and the birds kept coming and trying to get the tomatoes, and so my wife put Christmas, red, bright red Christmas ornaments on the plant, and they quit coming. Je yeah, Jesus said, uh, talked about a little bit of mustard seed. Do you know what a mustard seed is? It's a seed that grows a mustard plant. I mean, really, really little seed, and so you put it in the ground, and you water it, and the sun comes out, and you water it some more. And pretty soon, it grows big enough for the birds in the air to come and make a nest in its branches. Nest? Yeah, a nest. You, you ever eat mustard on a sandwich? Mustard? Sandwich? Mm-hmm, sandwich? Yeah. Well, anyway, a mustard seed grows a mustard plant. <laughs> not funny. It is funny because you're laughing. It is funny. Well, I'm going to tell you, Jesus, Jesus, um, remember when God came down from heaven and as a little baby and Jesus grew up to be a, a, a man, what? right? Perfect human and perfect God, right? We believe that about Jesus. And so Jesus began to gather disciples around him. And so he had a few. Twelve disciples, right? For sure, apostles. And, and so he began to teach them about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is like. It, it begins very small and grows huge. God does that, actually. And so Jesus started with a few, few people, and then Jesus died. And the kingdom of God, as we see it on earth, began to grow began to grow and the Holy Spirit came and, and, and on Pentecost, that first Pentecost, 3,000 people were added into the kingdom of God, into the church. And then more people and more people and over 2,000 years, millions of people have 
come into the church, have come into the kingdom of God, which has grown so big that we can't even begin to imagine how big it is. And, th and that's not just people on earth. That's people who have died and already gone to heaven, whatever that looks like, right? So millions and millions of people already surround the throne of God, but we also surround the throne of God because we're a part of the kingdom. And right now, Christians all over this world are worshiping Jesus on Sunday mornings. And it all began with Jesus coming down as a little baby and one guy and two guys and three guys and four guys and five guys all the way up. That's how the kingdom of God grows. That's how the kingdom of God grows. God makes it grow. And we're all here this morning as a part of the kingdom of God in his church. Because we are his body. We're his hands and his feet on earth. Because he's already ascended into heaven. And he's given us his, the power of his Holy Spirit. You want to go see your mommy? Okay, go ahead. And so he's given us the, his, his spirit to lead us and guide us and to grow us in the kingdom all together, all together. It began this big like a mustard seed. And now look how big the church is, the people of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about. Okay? All right. Go get a packet if you want to get a packet in color. And um, Deacon John will get, talk more about the kingdom of God. In service starts for me next Friday. I'm, I'm excited to get young people back in the classroom again. I'm just reminded that there's a challenge that comes with that. Thank you. Thank you. I do want to talk about the kingdom of God with you this morning. And I want to talk about relationships. In the kingdom of God, of course, Jesus is the king of the kingdom. And he rules. And we, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, a royal priesthood. We are heirs to the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are servants in the kingdom. So we play many different roles as we live in the kingdom of God. But that existence in the kingdom is dependent upon our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about relationships. You know, in Romans chapter 8... Paul talks about the fact that the love that God has for us uh, cannot be diminished. We cannot be separated from his love. He designed us before the foundation of the world. And he placed us in a particular place and in a particular time.
with a unique set of skills and gifts for the purpose of serving in his kingdom and bringing glory to God the Father. So his love has existed long before we were ever born. And he knew when he created us that in order for us to be part of that kingdom, he would have to come down to earth as a man and be crucified. And he paid that price in order for us to be able to have a relationship with God the Father. Without that sacrifice, the relationship is not possible. So his love for us is eternal. It's, it's overwhelming love. It's love that cannot be diminished by time, by distance, by our own failures and sins. So I want you to think about relationships for just a minute. The, the question is, what is your current relationship with Jesus? Your opportunity to look into the mirror and see where you stand. But I want you to think about other relationships that you've had in your life. I want you to think about the value of those relationships. Uh, of that love. S spend just a minute to think about loved ones, parents, spouses, children, mentors, people whose, whose opinion you valued. And think about the the importance to you of that love and that approval that comes from those relationships the value of them so I bring that up to you today as, as I think about my father it's been on my mind. Some of you will appreciate this. Uh, my father died back in the 1990s at the age of 67. And I mention that to you because I have a birthday next month and I will be 67. So while 67 seems like a just random number, it has been on my mind for a number of years. The number 67, that birthday coming up. Uh, no, I've not been sitting around thinking I'm doomed, right? 67 is coming, it's going to be all over. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I could live to be 107. That would be another 40 years. But then you think about what it would mean to live another 40 years. I've already got a seat cushion over there because of the arthritis. 
I'm thinking endurance. I need to pray for lots of endurance if God is taking me to 107. Right? That would be a challenge. But I have no idea what God has planned. But you think about that. In September of the year in which my father turned 67, his birthday was in September, my wife and I uh, uh, met up with him down at Methodist Hospital. He had uh, had some tests run, he was getting a result and that put him kind of close to where we lived and so we were going to meet them there and have dinner. And so I was present when he got the diagnosis of terminal cancer. My dad, the doctor, so the doctor comes in with the report and hands it to him. It doesn't say anything because dad's a doctor, he can read the report. And I'm looking at my father and, and I didn't know that anything serious was going on, but I could tell when I looked. I knew. And then the doctor said, John, my dad's a John, I'm a junior. He said, John, I'm sorry. And my mother over there, you know, you have these memories and they never go away. Uh, I heard mom ex uh, give the, oh, John. The, the, her heart is crushed and that was her statement oh John I don't remember anything else that happened uh, on that day but the love of God is like the love that you have for your parents I had a love for my dad when I was a child I didn't know my father at all when I was a child. You do know that, right? I didn't know anything about him. What was he like in high school? I knew, I knew nothing, but when he came, I loved him. I loved his presence. And that love changes over time. The love of the teenager for the father. You understand that looks very different. Uh, in my case, there might have been some outward question about the existence of such love. It's that teenage rebellion period, right? Uh, but the love existed. The love of the parent when you're an adult. And you've learned, you've learned about who they are. Right? Their strengths, their weaknesses. So the love transforms over time. But the time that I want you to think about here is the time that comes when you have that terminal diagnosis and you've just been told there's a limit to the time that you have left on this earth. Jesus with his disciples, two and a half years, 
You think of the love that he had for those disciples. You think of the relationship they had with each other. And they're being trained and they're being trained to live and to serve in the kingdom. And it's two and a half years of being challenged by Pharisees and scribes and, and crowds of people coming to see miracles done. And you're trying to learn lessons. And you've arrived in the far north of Israel. At a place called Caesarea Philippi, Danius, depends on uh, who you're asking what it would be called. Uh, a place that contains the gates of hell. It was then, it is now a tourist attraction, the gates of hell. It's a real place, the gates of hell. It's surrounded by Roman um, temples to different gods and here it is you know so it's the river sticks and it's the gate of hell and Jesus asked his disciples who do you say that I am and they said you are the Messiah and then for the first time Jesus said to them we're bound for Jerusalem where I will be tried and beaten and executed and will be dead for three days. Paul's response to that was, no way. We love you too much. We won't allow that to happen. We're going to prevent it. And of course Jesus responds with, get thee behind me, Satan. It's something he has to do. It's part of why he's here. They don't understand. They don't understand the meaning or the significance of what's happening. But they've just been told. Right? Jesus is, has a terminal condition. We're going to take this walk from the northern part of Israel down past the Sea of Galilee, down the edge of the Jordan River to Jericho and then we're going to walk up the mountain to Jerusalem and then I will be killed. This is the amount of time you have left. So you think about the relationship between those disciples and Jesus and you think about the fact that they have just been told that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem to die. She's got that picture in your mind. Three of the disciples then got to go with Jesus up onto the mountain to the transfiguration. Jesus in his glory, Jesus with Moses, Jesus with Elijah in power. They're given that picture of the kingdom of God. And then they're told not to tell anybody until later. They come down from the mountain. They rejoin the nine. They continue their journey. Jesus tells them again he's going to Jerusalem. This time they don't argue that they're going to save him. They don't ask any questions. They're afraid of what they might learn. They're silent. And they begin to argue with one another. 
who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? So we did that lesson in Bible study Thursday night. And I just felt like I had to bring it to you again today. Here's why. I, I'm, I'm puzzled. The time is limited. You're getting closer and closer to Jerusalem. Your time with Jesus is limited. You know who he is. You know he's the Messiah. And your relationship with him, the love that he has for you and that you have for him, all the other disciples have gone away because Jesus has told them that the path that they have to follow to arrive at the gate of heaven is difficult. And they've decided it's too difficult. The 12, the 12 are the only ones left. I'm thinking I would have different questions than who's number one in the kingdom of God after you're gone. I don't think that would be my focus. I, I, want, would, I would want to treasure the limited time that I have left. At least that's my own experience with my own parent. You know, the death of the parent has not diminished my love for my father. Time hasn't done that. Distance didn't do that. It still exists. And Jesus' love for me is infinitely beyond anything I've ever experienced or felt for another person. How valuable is that relationship? Because Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great value. How valuable is it? We should sell everything we own in order to acquire it. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God the Father and with Jesus. That we could be one with them. And the question is, what is the status of our relationship with Jesus today? The disciples were interested in things like, where do I stand in the kingdom of God? They had a relationship in which they traveled with him personally, one-on-one. -on -one. And they knew the time was short, and yet that was the question on their mind. And, and you know how Jesus responded to that, right? This generation of people. How, how long will I be with you? Oh, the frustration of the teacher. I'm getting ready to start a new year. And in the beginning of the year, you're so excited. But when you get to the end of the year and there are lessons that you have taught and taught and taught and taught and taught and they still don't get it and the time is running out. 
the relationship with Jesus. When I was in high school, Campus Crusades for Christ used to give out little pamphlets to us and then send us out to knock on doors and share the gospel with others so that they could share in the relationship with Jesus so that they could become members of the kingdom of God. A kingdom, right, that's so valuable that it's the hidden treasure and we sell everything in order to get that piece of land. And of course the question is today for you and for me, it's always the same. Is Jesus the little stick figure on the throne of your life? Is he the center of your life? Is he the king of the kingdom? Are you his servant? Or, stick figure number two, you're on the throne of your life. And all of the people and relationships that you have that are important to you and all of the things that you do in the world that are important to you are there in your kingdom. And somewhere inside that circle of your kingdom is Jesus. He's not on the throne. I can tell by the way he's in the circle because you're in the room today, right? So you've put him in the circle. Have you put him on the throne? So is your question about who's going to sit on the throne after you've died? Who's going to be on the right hand? Who's going to be on the left hand? And what is my place in the kingdom? So you're looking inside at your relationship with God. His love for you beyond understanding. Your love for him. Is it sufficient that you have taken him from outside the circle to inside the circle to the throne of your life? Because that's what we're called to do is to put him on the throne. The new Christian hungers and thirsts for time with Jesus for prayer, for scripture to learn. But in his relationship with God, his knowledge of the depth and breadth of Jesus' love for us is small. Like the young child loving his father, but really not knowing much. But here we are. Decades of study, of prayer, of fellowship, of communion. Is the passion still there? Do you hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God? Are you looking for your calling? Are you looking to serve in the kingdom of God? He's placed you here. The kingdom of God is like the mustard seed. If you have planted that seed in your life, Jesus is inside the circle 
the Holy Spirit is at work growing that tree of life. Transforming you. Completing you. And when, I, just in case you didn't know, if I looked in the mirror today, I've not been perfected yet. I see imperfections. I fall short of the glory of God. I am a sinner. And I'm so grateful for the love of God that has planted the seed of the Holy Spirit in my heart and that he is at work transforming me and perfecting me so that I am complete, so that I am lacking in nothing and I'm able to be all that God created me to be. But he's not done yet. I can tell. I've looked in the mirror. And so when I come to the altar, or in my case, come to the altar, I am saying, Lord Jesus, put to death my old self here. I have imperfections. Chisel them away. And give me more of you. Fill me up with Christ. Make me one with you. There is no greater joy in the world than living in the kingdom of God here, now, with you. We are on a journey following Jesus. We are on a journey down a narrow and difficult path, not my words, those are Jesus' words. We are on a journey that ends at the narrow gate that enters into eternal life. Yes, indeed. Glory, hallelujah. I don't know the path, but Jesus does. And we journey it together. And there's, there's no greater joy than being able to encourage you to lift you up, to, to journey with you as we follow Jesus. That is life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom is lived in unity with, with one another. And we encourage each other as we take the road. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you said that the kingdom of God is like yeast. And when it's placed into the flour, it 
infects all. It spreads to every corner of our life. The kingdom of God, Lord, we want it. We hunger and thirst for it. Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet and we pray that you will continue the good work which you have started in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.